well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards, but uh, you probably know that by now. So on today's program, we're not going to be talking about gun control. No, we're going to be talking about car control instead. And and I, I guess really the, the um, muted calls for uh, car control, they are there. Uh, this headline, for instance, traffic deaths are up because of risky driver behaviors and safety advocates want to address it. But you also have uh, this headline from the New York Times, race, class, and traffic deaths, a surge in vehicle crashes disproportionately harming lower-income families and black Americans. You've got this from the Los Angeles Times. Inside L.A.'s deadly street takeover scene, a scene of lawlessness. Yeah, what is going on on our streets? Because it's not just, you know, getting guns off the streets that uh, is important in terms of saving lives. Apparently, now maybe we need to start talking about getting cars off of the streets, or at least uh, some, you know, common sense car control. The uh, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration reports that uh, more Americans are dying on the roads. New data showing that things are headed in the wrong direction. 9,560 people died in motor vehicle traffic crashes in the first quarter of this year. So we are on pace right now for nearly 40,000 traffic-related fatalities. In 2022, in comparison, last year, there were 19,600 homicides across the country. Now, I know that you've seen uh, the headlines that uh, say, you know, gun deaths uh, overtake traffic deaths uh, in the United States. That's one of those dodges that, uh, frankly, uh, anti-gun researchers use to combine Uh, All gun-related homicides, gun-related suicides, and accidents involving firearms uh, with traffic fatalities. Now, I would argue, again, that if you're trying to combat homicide, you're going to be doing things quite a bit differently than if you're trying to address suicide, right? But, again, gun control advocates love to lump all of those uh, gun-related deaths together. Um, It's an open question right now, frankly, as to whether or not traffic deaths will actually overtake all gun-related deaths in the United States uh, this year, given, again, the sharp increase in the number of traffic fatalities. Uh, And again, we're seeing a number of things. So the Los Angeles Times, I mentioned, talked about that um, the street takeovers. And we're seeing this not just in L.A., but in a number of other cities where, you know, hundreds of people show up uh, at an intersection, typically on a Friday or Saturday night. Uh, basically shut it down, engage in, you know, doing donuts in the middle of the street. Sometimes they wipe out. Sometimes people get hit. In fact, six people have died at these uh, street takeover events in Los Angeles so far this year. Not all of them traffic related. There have been a couple of shootings that have taken place uh, during these uh, street takeovers as well. Uh, Former uh, Compton Councilwoman Barbara Calhoun says it's like a war zone. Uh, Pointing to perfectly painted white crosswalks on the major intersections near her home that are now marred, the L.A. Times writes, by a tangle of black tracks. Those who live in or near Compton, the paper reports, say street racing and takeovers have defiled the city, a topic that's become a regular point of discussion during council meetings with residents like David Castillo pleading for action. Castillo and his family were driving home back in March from a, a quick trip to Walmart when they were hit by a Ford Mustang uh, in the area. Castillo's daughter suffered significant injuries uh, in that accident. 
And again, the L.A. Uh, City Council, Compton City Council, really not taking this issue seriously. Uh, as the uh, New York Times reports, just like with violent crime rates in the United States, for decades, the rate of traffic fatalities was trending downward. Uh, but that changed, and it actually started changing before we saw the crime spike hit in 2020. Uh, accidents and traffic fatalities started climbing in 2015. Uh, the New York Times says one reason seems to be distracted driving. By 2015, two-thirds of U.S. adults owned a smartphone up from almost none in 2006. The paper writes, the U.S. has also been less aggressive about cracking down on speeding than Britain and some other parts of Europe, and vehicles here tend to be larger uh, Gregory Schill of the University of Iowa says the uh, engorgement of the American vehicle can kill pedestrians and people in smaller vehicles. They say these patterns help explain why death rates have fallen substantially more in other countries than in the United States during recent decades. As alarming, the paper writes, as these trends are, the biggest increases have taken place more recently since the pandemic in the spring of 2020. As COVID was transforming daily life, vehicle crashes surged. By the start of this year, the death rate had jumped about 20% from pre-pandemic levels. It has been the sharpest increase since the 1940s. Now, again, remember, we saw a corresponding spike in violent crime in 2020 as well. But gun control advocates blame that almost entirely on the number of guns that were sold in this country. Right? Because we also saw a surge in gun sales this year. What this data suggests especially when you look at other data like the increase in alcohol-related deaths, which are now over 100,000 per year in the United States, the increase in drug-related deaths, again, now over 100,000 Americans in any given year. Both of those also sharply increased since the pandemic in 2020, which suggests to me that all of these things, the rise in violent crime, rise in traffic fatalities, the rise in drug overdose deaths, the rise in alcohol-related deaths. Again, all of these sharply increasing since the pandemic. Look, I'm no sociologist. I'm no egghead academic. But to me, that points to COVID-related stressors in our lives. And it's manifesting itself in different ways. In some cases, it may be that uh, people are, uh, you know, choosing to uh, go out and, and drive a little more dangerously than they would have. Just to, you know, it's a stress reliever. I'm just going to speed up. Also, our our, uh, our tempers may be getting shorter, right? We've seen a rise in road rate incidents. We've seen a rise in aggressive driving. Uh, so it, I, I think, honestly, what this means, to me anyway, uh, is that, yes, the mental health stressors that we've been facing over the past couple of years are manifesting itself uh, in more risky behavior among not all Americans, but certainly among more Americans than we saw pre-pandemic. Oddly, I find myself in the position of agreeing with something I see in the New York Times, because the Times also says the most plausible Remaining theories tend to involve the mental health problems caused by COVID's isolation and disruption. Alcohol and drug abuse have increased. Impulsive behavior like running red lights and failing to wear seatbelts also seems to have uh, risen. Many Americans have felt frustrated or unhappy, and it seems to have affected their driving. Again, I, I think it's affected a lot of Americans in a lot of different ways. But gun control advocates, again, they always look for that easy solution. 
right? Well, violent crime climbed at the same time that uh, gun sales were rising. So the two must be connected. Must be all those new guns out there causing the rise in violent crime. Well, it's not new cars out there causing the rise in traffic fatalities. Matter of fact, uh, new cars have been kind of hard to come by over the last couple of years. And traffic fatalities actually started rising even as there were fewer Americans on the road in 2020. So I'm not seriously calling for more car control, as you might well imagine. But I do think it's worth pointing out that when the gun control advocates try to pin the rise in violent crime on legal gun owners, on lawful transactions of firearms, and on the number of guns that were sold over the past couple of years, not only do they not have any evidence to back it up, but they're, again, ignoring all of the other uh, uh, issues at play here in the United States, where, again, we see a, a rise in deaths because of this risky behavior. I don't think it's gun control that's going to solve the problem. I don't think it's car control that's going to solve the problem. To be honest with you, I don't think it's alcohol control or even drug control either. I think the answer is much more difficult than a simple legislative solution. I think the answer really involves self-control, not controlling inanimate objects. But we don't have a culture <laughs> that promotes self-control. Uh Quite the opposite, I think, in uh, many regards. And sadly, I think that this um, is probably going to mean, if not a continued increase in these types of deaths, uh, more of a plateau. Uh, there has been uh, some indications that traffic fatalities may have slightly dipped in the first half of this year. There's also indications of violent crime in uh, many parts of the country is starting to decline, which, by the way, shouldn't happen if more guns equal more crime, because we still have more guns than we did two years ago. So anyway, that's probably a topic for a, a different conversation uh, altogether. But we've got to get past the simplistic idea uh, put forth by the gun control advocates that the increase in gun sales in 2020 led to this dramatic spike in violent crime. And therefore, the only thing that we can do to reduce violent crime is to go after the guns. We're not hearing that when it comes to the rise in traffic fatalities. Nobody's out there calling for uh, you know a ban on uh, high-powered cars, right? Or installing uh, governors uh, in every vehicle so it can only go the speed limit. Why do you need to go 90 miles an hour? We're not hearing those conversations. Which is good, but frankly, we shouldn't be hearing those conversations when it comes to our right to keep and bear arms either. Now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We'll start there in New York City, where the suspected attacker in the killing of a cabbie in Queens, 20 years old, uh, described as a, uh, quote, robbery recidivist with a lengthy arrest record. Yeah. How does one rack up a lengthy arrest record by the age of 20? Austin Amos, according to the New York Post, has been busted 10 previous times, including charges for robbery, sexual misconduct, and domestic violence. He's listed by the NYPD as a, quote, robbery recidivist, according to sources. Three of his arrests, the records are actually sealed. Now Amos has been charged with manslaughter and gang assault. 
after he and a group of uh, three of his friends allegedly killed a cab driver and a father of four, including Gimya, on Saturday morning after they uh, skipped out on their fare. 20-year-old Nicholas Porter and 15-year-old girl have also been charged in connection with this murder. Another teenage girl is yet to be apprehended. Amos right now is uh, being held without bond, probably for the first time in his life. New York Post reports uh, that the last time Amos was busted uh, before he was arrested on manslaughter charges, uh, February of 2020 for fair evasion, uh, January of 2020 for armed robbery. Yeah. In July and October of 2019, he was arrested twice for violating an order of protection. February of 2019, he was charged with sexual misconduct and robbery. Uh, All of those charges stem from domestic violence-related incidents. He's named in 12 domestic violence reports, including 11 in which he's named as the aggressor. Now, following the domestic violence arrest in 2019, Amos, who was a minor at the time, took a plea bargain that required him to undergo counseling, remedial education, and he was placed on probation. He completed all of those requirements, and the charges were later reduced to disorderly conduct. New York Post says the dispositions of the other arrests uh, were not immediately clear, again, perhaps because they were sealed, uh, but you do have to wonder what what happened on the armed robbery charge in, in 2020. Um, that should have kept him behind bars if he was convicted, right? Or did he get probation in that case, too? Again, keep in mind, he's only 20. So he would have been 17, maybe just turned 18. Did the courts keep this case in juvenile court? Did they give him another slap on the wrist? Or what? Were the charges dismissed? Again, we we don't know. We don't have the answers here. But a whole lot of questions about why Austin Amos was not behind bars instead of uh, in a cab in Queens a couple of days ago, where, again, he allegedly took the life of a father of four. Today's Armed citizen story, um, the headline, I got to say, doesn't really really get to the, uh, the bottom of the story here. This is from the LaGrange News in LaGrange, Texas. Uh, this was a self-defense shooting over the weekend. Started out as a, a domestic violence incident. Police were called out to a home about 9.30 Friday night uh, on reports of a uh, domestic disturbance, someone that had been shot. Officers arrived, uh, and they found a man named Charles Anthony Shields suffering a, a single gunshot wound to his upper torso. He was immediately taken to a local hospital. And the LaGrange police says that a subsequent investigation revealed that Shields was actually the aggressor in this incident, and that his wife, fearing for her life, shot him in self-defense. victim told police that she and Shields had been arguing earlier in the evening. He became upset. She was ignoring him while she was using her phone, so he grabbed the phone and threw it at the TV, uh, broke the TV. She went to go pick up the phone, and uh, she said her husband apparently thought she was getting ready to call 911. So he charged at her, began hitting her as she begged him to get off of her and to leave the home. She says that they uh, continued uh, to tussle, in the uh, words of the LaGrange Daily News, and that Shields prevented her from using the phone to call for help. She says when her husband refused to get off of her, she reached for her pistol and shot once, missing him. 
The two then began to struggle over the gun, and Shields was shot one time. After he was shot, his wife able to get to her phone, fled the location, called 911. According to police, victim did have physical injuries, uh, visible injuries to her face, arms, chest, and hands. Uh, now her husband has been charged with family violence for uh, aggravated assault, strong-arm robbery, false imprisonment, criminal damage to property, as well as obstructing or hindering persons making an emergency telephone call. He also had an uh, outstanding warrant for his arrest at the time for failure to appear, as well as probation violations in uh, two different Texas counties. Uh, so this is apparently not the first time that uh, Mr. Shields has uh, faced the long arm of the law. His wife is expected to recover. Um, we'll give you any updates if they become available. I, I don't know that this story is actually going to get much more attention, but I am very, very glad that she was able to protect and defend herself because it sounds like this could have been a really uh, terrible, terrible situation had she not been able to act in self-defense. Today's good deed of the day. In the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing in Pennsylvania. Uh, this was earlier in the month. A guy named uh, Chris Faverin was working at home. Uh, he was watching his uh, six-month-old granddaughter. And when uh, his granddaughter's uh, dad picked her up in the afternoon, about 4.30, he said he took a break from work. He does contract IT work for the uh, federal government. He went downstairs to do his daily workout. Um, 53 years old, been working out for about a month and a half. He said he felt pretty good doing it for the most part. Uh, but he said lately, as he's been working out, he would get really tired about halfway through. So before he started, he downed an energy drink. Um, first time he said he had done it. Got through the workout, said he was feeling pretty good, but he was almost through his last routine, 100 jumping jacks, and he said he really started feeling off. He couldn't lift his arms above his shoulders. He said he felt pain in his chest, which then started radiating down his left arm and then up his neck into his jaw. He said it felt like my entire upper body was cramping. It, it worked its way up my neck into my jaw. He said I could still move my jaw to talk, but it felt like somebody punched me really hard on both sides of the jaw. So he managed to go upstairs and tell his fiance, hey, I think I'm having a heart attack. So she says, all right, well, let's go. Let's go to the hospital. Get him in the car. Uh, starts asking, ask the phone, you know, where's the nearest uh, hospital? It's about 10 minutes away. Um, his fiance says, I was so worked up, I couldn't even dial 911. Meanwhile, Favarin said, I don't think I'm going to make it 10 minutes. And he looked over next door and saw that both of his neighbor's cars were in the driveway. Um, he said that was kind of unusual because they work odd hours and not usually there. Without saying a word to his fiance, he got out of his car, went to his neighbor's porch, rang their doorbell, uh, and then just sort of leaned up against the porch railing before collapsing. And that's him on the ground. That is his neighbors coming to his aid. Uh, and yeah, he would not have made it 10 days to that hospital. Uh, Chris and Rachel Mowry are the uh, the neighbors in question. He said they were enjoying a rare day off together. Uh, Chris Mowry said uh, we're almost never home together between our schedules and the kids' schedules. Now, Chris Mowry is a professional firefighter. Uh, he started out as a volunteer when he was 15 years old. Uh, Rachel is a nurse practitioner. Pretty good people to have as neighbors if you're having a heart attack, right? 
So when Chris Faverin comes over, rings the doorbell, and then collapses on the front porch, they checked his pulse first thing. He didn't have one. He, at that point, was in full cardiac arrest. So Chris and Rachel Mowry uh, started to perform CPR. Uh, Chris Mowry says, we just did our job. Rachel Mowry says, outwardly, she was trying to be professional inside. She said she was a wreck. She says, I was thinking, God, please help me. I was praying the whole time. Called 911, took turns doing chest compressions, checking his pulse. EMS got there within six minutes. Uh, they uh, joined in the treatment while awaiting the arrival of an ambulance. They used a defibrillator three times to start Chris Faverin's heart. Um, they actually got a, a heartbeat back, but as he was going into the ambulance, his heart stopped again, so they had to use the defibrillator again, once again getting a pulse. Chris Faverin is alive and well today, thankfully. Um, and he gives all the credit in the world to his neighbors. So I got to say, uh, Rachel Mowry says, somehow God put me and my husband in the right place at the right time. Chris Faverin, out of the hospital after two days, says, uh, "It, yeah, he says, I'm here today because of Chris and Rachel. He says, I do owe my life to them. I was not ready to go. And I praise the Lord for keeping me around for my wedding and for my granddaughter. So in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing for a neighbor in need, Chris and Rachel Mowry, they're in uh, Pennsylvania. We thank you for your life-saving good deed. And that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you, as always, for being a part of the program. I really do appreciate it. I will uh, encourage you to check out BearingArms.com throughout the day. So you can stay up to date on all of the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. But if you do like what you see at BearingArms.com, I'd also encourage you to become a VIP member. All you got to do, go to uh, BearingArms.com slash subscribe. Uh, you can use the promo code GUNRIGHTS and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. That's our way of saying thanks for showing your support. We're going to give you exclusive news stories, analysis, content you won't find anywhere else. Because as I say, your support really does matter. And it really does make a difference. All right. Have a great rest of your Tuesday. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, be free.